Good morning, church. Glad that you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Titus chapter 2. We're going to continue in our series this morning. As always, you are welcome to follow along in our app, whether you do that on an iPad, a tablet, or on your phone. If you download the Oakwood app, go to Sermon Notes, all of the scripture and all of the bullet points and all that will be there for you this morning. We want you to engage the Word of God. Before we go any further, though, I want to uh, let you know about uh, something I think we need to all be praying about. Um, some things are happening in the world right now that haven't happened in a long time. And if you're not aware, Israel uh, got attacked um, just in the last 24 hours. And about two and a half hours ago, Israel declared war um, on Hamas for the first time since, I think, 1971 or 1973. So uh, pretty serious stuff going on over there. Um, and if you just remember as Christians, like, you know, okay, we're over here in Bufford, Enid, Oklahoma, America, so what? So Matthew 24, right? Matthew 24 says that in the last days there'll be wars and rumors of war, there'll be famines and earthquakes and all these things, and those are the birth pains before Jesus comes again. So, folks, we're in the season, okay? It's happening around us all the time. So wake up. If that does not uh, uptick the evangelistic urgency that we have of the call to make disciples and live out the Great Commission, I don't know what else does. So uh, obviously be praying about that as, we, as you know, the uh, United States is uh, fierce allies with Israel. But, uh, yeah, be praying about what's going on in the world. And, uh, man, be sharing Christ with others, I think, is, is the main thing. Uh, I, I want to paint a picture, begin this morning by painting a picture for you uh, this morning. You know, there was a game yesterday, Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah. And all God's people said amen, right? You know, no, yeah, yeah. All the Texas fans, collective groan, but... No, I mean, it, it'd be a little weird to be down at the end of a game. Coach called, can we go there with me, okay? You're down at the end of the game. You know, you just got a few ticks left on the clock. I mean, maybe you're inside the 20. You're in the red zone. You're trying to score a touchdown. You're trying to get ahead in the game. Coach calls a timeout. You know, team comes over and they huddle and they talk about what they're going to do. And the coach always has a plan, right? He's telling the plan. I'm going to, I want you to do this. I want you to run this play. You're going to do this. And you're going to go out here. And you're going to go here. And he gives instructions to the team. And it'd be really awkward. The team comes out of the, out of the sideline timeout. They come out in the middle of the field. They all get in the huddle and they're going over the last thing. Okay, we're going to go on to we're going to do this and coach asks us to do this and all this stuff the clock is ticking down and you know there's that well it's, you know it's either a 40 second clock or a 25 second clock you know and we don't know what is what and when it's what but anyway but one of those you know clocks ticking down so you got to snap the ball for the play and then what would be really awkward is they break the huddle they run off to the sideline cheering and celebrating and they run out of the stadium run to their cars and go home and you're like dude what 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 is that? That is, like, you're like, that doesn't even make sense. It's so awkward. And yet I think of that and I think, what a parallel to God's church sometimes. That we come in here on Sunday mornings and we have kind of this holy huddle. And we hear some instructions from, from the coach. God is telling us how, how to live our lives and what he wants us to do. What's our next step to being obedient and to following him. And then we, we, all, we all huddle up in here. It's like, yes, woo, we get fired up, we celebrate. We all go leave the sanctuary, go jump on our cars, and we never run the play. We never live the life. We never take our next step to following Christ. We never actually run the plays that he's called us to do as Christians. And so many times I think we try to compartmentalize our Christianity and say, well, this is just Sunday mornings, and you know, Sunday morning is the time where, you know, 
It's the time where, where churches, you know, count the stats, right? It's how many people are in the huddle, how many people are in the huddle, and then, you know, we, we will gauge that by the inspiration of that huddle. You know, was, was the huddle inspiring? You know, was it relevant? And then we just go out and we kind of forget the instructions that God has given us. And it's a dangerous, dangerous place. It's a slippery slope for a church. Today, as we read our, our text, it's kind of this broader application today. We're, we're, we're specifically going to be talking about how we're to live in our working environments and how we're to represent Christ. But beyond that, there's this greater application to how we live our lives outside the walls of the church. How, how we live our lives outside of the Sunday morning gathering. Who are we and what do we do for the Lord outside of here? And so I want to begin there this morning. Now we need to understand that Jesus gave us some instructions on this. The Son of God gave us instructions on this throughout the New Testament. One of them came from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, I think it's uh, beginning verse 13, uh, that little passage there, he says this. He says, hey, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, loses its taste and its usefulness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. In other words, if you're called by God to be salt, to be light, the next few verses talk about. And to be that out in the world, you have to mix it up with the world. We have to live out this faith that we claim to have outside the walls of the church. And when we disperse and disappear from the gathering, from this place, till next week, we all go get in our cars, we need to not forget there's a spiritual battle looming out there in the world. And Jesus expects us to engage in it, not to ignore it. He's the one that calls us to be salt and light. You know, salt had a deeper meaning in Jesus' day as well. Maybe you've heard the term that, oh, yeah, he's worth his weight in salt. Sometimes they actually paid people in salt at that time. Because if you, if you remember, right, they didn't have refrigerators and freezers. I mean, salt wasn't just something for taste. Salt was something that was super valuable because it was a preservative. But for salt to take on that duty of preserving something like a piece of meat or something, what had to happen? The salt had to make contact. And it didn't just have to make contact with a piece of meat. It actually had to permeate it. It actually had to become a part of it. It had to, to preserve it. It had to make contact and to penetrate it. And that is Jesus' plan for us as we go out into the world is for the church to make a difference. And that's what Paul's talking about today in our passage, that as we go out from the holy huddle, that we have effectiveness in our walk and our testimony and how we live this out, out in the world. And it's not measured by what goes on just in worship on Sunday mornings, but on what goes on in our lives throughout the week. And Paul discusses this truth today in this passage in the context of how we live out our faith at work. So let's read the passage today. It's Titus chapter 2, and we're going to read two verses today and, and hone in on these uh, verses 9 and 10. Titus 2, 9 and 10. This is what it says. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show them that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. 
Very interesting, very interesting what, what the text is, is asking us to do today. Now, I know it's using this, this terminology here that, you know, hey, slaves are to be subject to their masters. And, and slavery took on a lot of different forms in Bible times. What's, in, what's interesting is it's many times uh, referred to as a bondservant, as someone who chooses to be in the place of a slave as they serve in a household and they get their daily needs met by being a servant in that household. Sometimes slaves were indentured servants, that they would take on, on a position of service and servitude in a household, or, or maybe it was for the Roman Empire, because they owed money, because they, it wasn't that they needed to make money, it was just that they owed money, and so sometimes it was like an indentured servitude. Much of the Roman Empire hired most of its workforce in this way, of slaves and masters, and that's why Paul, when he's teaching this to Titus here and writing this in this letter, He's using this kind of terminology, but it's talking specifically about them being workers. You know, I doubt that anyone of us here this morning feel enslaved except maybe to Jesus Christ because we call him our master. He is our Lord. That word Lord in the, in, in the text of the New Testament is a word kyrios, which is oftentimes translated as master. And these principles that the Apostle Paul is giving to Titus today are applicable to all of us as we go out and live our lives in the world, especially when it comes to our jobs. You see, Paul told these workers, these slaves here, to perform these duties at their workplaces in such a way that it would actually make the gospel and the teachings and the faith they had in Jesus Christ attractive to the world. Paul wants people to live their faith outside of just the holy huddle and the gathering. Because here's the truth. Christianity is to permeate every area of our life. Christianity is to permeate every area of our life. Paul addresses this in how Christians will do this specifically in the workplace. That they are to be subject to their masters and to do their jobs well. But many of us like to compartmentalize our lives. It's almost, I thought about it, it as like, it's kind of like sections in a newspaper. You know, we got the, we have the news section, and you don't have the entertainment go in the news section. It doesn't touch the news. sports page, not in the news section. Then you, you've got maybe the op-ed. You've got the editorial piece that's written as someone's opinion on something. And, and again, we don't have the sports in the op-ed. We don't have the op-ed over here in the entertainment section. They're all in sections in the paper, and some Christians want to live their lives that way. Hey, this is my Sunday morning section. And the Sunday morning section doesn't mess with work tomorrow, okay? They don't, they don't intersect. The language I use in the lobby here is much better language than I use at work tomorrow. The attitudes and actions I portray here are much different attitudes and actions than I have when I go to work tomorrow. And whatever it is, we are called by God to live the Christian life with consistency no matter where we're at, no matter where we're going, no matter what we do. That's the call of God. That's how we are a strong witness and testimony to Christ in the culture. And specifically, I know the context today is talking about the workplace, but even beyond the workplace, Christianity is to permeate every area of our lives. But here's the fact. Many Christians want to be able to go to church for an hour of inspiration on Sunday mornings and then go do as they please the rest of the week. But that's not what God has called us to. We need to be reminded of, of passages like Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. It says this, and whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word, something you say, 
or indeed something you work at, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, Paul says here we're to be that these slaves should be subject to their masters. In verse 9, it says in what? In everything. Why? Because in verse 10, it says, because in every way we will represent Christ to them. And also accept our position in the kingdom. Because Jesus is our Lord, he's our Savior, he is also our master. And because of that, we want to do what he instructs us to do. He is not just the Lord of your life for one hour a week on a Sunday morning. He wants to be the Lord over all. He wants to be the Lord not only of your spiritual life, he wants to be the Lord over your entertainment life, over your school life, over your dating life, your leisure time and even your life at work. You see, Christ is over all if he is your Lord, and no area of your life will be unaffected by him. And yet, we seem to struggle with that, don't we? We seem to struggle to want to compartmentalize our life and to make sure that this thing, or this part of my life, doesn't do this. And we're doing ourselves a huge injustice because we're not being honest. And folks, if you, you can fool each other, and you can fool me, but you're not ever going to fool God. He knows you inside and outside. He knows your thought before you think it. He knows what's coming. And he's the one that says, represent me well. You know, it wouldn't hurt the gospel or the great commission that we're called to live to make Christianity attractive out in the world. We'll call it out in the marketplace. You see, we should represent Jesus in such a way that it makes Christianity attractive to the world. That it makes Christianity attractive out there. Paul says that we should make the teaching about Jesus, about God our Savior, attractive. And he was talking specifically about these slaves to their masters. You see, the stereotype of Christians sometimes is, you know, Christians are a bunch of goody two-shoes and they... They don't want to have any fun, and they're super judgmental, and they're not, they're not really kind. They're kind of mean, but they're mean in a pious type of way, and everybody's kind of like, ooh, you know, I don't like Christianity, or I don't like Christians because they're that way. They're just so judgmental, and they're always, you know, just don't want to have any fun. They're always like a stick in the mud. But we need to let them know, hey, yeah, we're humans, and we can be Christians, and we can follow Christ and still have fun. We can follow Christ and still have an awesome life. In fact, we believe that our best life is lived within the parameters of Jesus Christ, our relationship with him, and in the context of living out the word of God in our lives. Now, you think about this. When you go out in the world, what is making Jesus attractive about the way that you live, about the way that you talk, about the attitude and the actions that you take? And I'm not coming at you today from some place, <laughs> if you know me, where, oh, yeah, Eric's got this figured out. Eric's got this out perfectly. No, 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 no. I'm coming at you at a place as a fellow struggler saying, let's do this together. Let's do better and be better and make Christianity attractive in the marketplace out there. Because that's when the world seems to stand up and notice when we actually live what we say we believe. Because sometimes I think maybe we shouldn't tell people what we believe. But we'll talk about that a little later. 
So we, we should represent Jesus in such a way that it makes Christianity attractive to the world. Why? Because our work presents a significant opportunity for witness. Our work presents a very significant opportunity for us to witness. Paul is saying here that your job performance at your work is, has direct correlation with attracting people to Jesus Christ. When we first moved to Enid, Amy and I, years ago, um, she uh, took a part-time job. We just had one daughter at the time, and she actually took a part-time job at Old Navy. And I remember that she was such a good worker um, that she kept getting invited to take on more shifts, and she was getting compliments at work. And I remember one night she came home, and she goes, man, I just got the greatest compliment from my boss that, you know, even though I'm, you know, I'm a mom and, you know, I'm working at Old Navy, she's like, I, I, they, they complimented me and said that I accomplished so much. Because when I get there, I go right to the duties that are assigned to me, and I'm, I'm folding, and I'm stocking, I'm tagging, I'm doing all this stuff, and that I can accomplish sometimes twice as much as other people. Which makes them what? Hey, that one's a work. We'll give them more hours, right? Maybe, maybe we'll give them more, more pay and we'll make sure that you know, things are lined out for them. Why? Because they're a good worker and they represent Christ well out in the world. I've tried to instill that in my daughters. I've tried to do that as they've taken on their first teenage jobs. Maybe some of you parents can relate to that. You try to instill them, hey, hey, come here. When you're at work, work. Okay? work stay off your phone you know and it's amazing because the the feedback that, that my girls have gotten sometimes is, is kind of the same as their mom it's like hey when you're here you accomplish more than everyone else I don't know I don't get that but uh, you know hey and sometimes they get offered uh, you know opportunities for hey that new shift or maybe you got a little bit of, get, get a little bit of a pay bump or or you know maybe you get to do a duty that others aren't entrusted with that it's more of a wow there's not very many people that get to do this and yeah you actually get to do that We've even, I've even, we, we've even uh, tried to teach the, the girls when they babysit to do those things, you know, to take that extra step, to go that extra mile, to, to play with the kids and not just be on your, your phone the whole time because you know anybody can go take care of kids and make sure they don't kill each other. But what if you go have fun? What if, what if you make it attractive to these parents that you're trying to, you know, spell here that their kids, when they have to leave, they're not like, oh, the babysitter's coming. But what if they're excited that you're coming because you actually do something with the, kill, the children? You see, these kind of things make Christians and Christianity attractive out there in the world. And especially in the context of work here that it's talking about today, our work has a significant opportunity to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And we have to, as Christians, change our mindset that we are not there for the purpose of making money. We're not there to earn a living or there to just do the job. The primary purpose of our job is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Christ in that place at that time because that's where God has us. There may be a greater purpose for you to be working where you're at right now, and you may not even like your job, but God wants you there, and he has you there for a purpose. But do you have the mindset to be working for that purpose? On average, we spend about 36% of our waking time at work in life. That means that we're spending a significant amount of our lifetime interacting with people at work. I'm just going to say it. They might be non-Christians. Just, just, just a couple of them, right? They, they might not believe the same as we do. They might not live the same as we do. They might not act 
act the same way as we do. And they might do things and talk about things and live a lifestyle that we don't approve of, but God has us there for a purpose. God has you there. Why? Because he wants you to have influence. And sometimes, instead of recognizing that God has actually arranged this for our lives, that God might actually have a plan and, and he's arranged for you to be there, to be an influence, to be a voice of truth, even if it's just one person, God has you in that place for that time. You know, we complain about these worldly people and their messy lives, and I can't believe it, I have to work with these people and stuff. But what if God has you there to be the voice of reason, to be the voice of truth, to be the counselor, the one that they come to because they know that you actually care, because they know you'll actually pray for them, because they know you might actually have some wisdom. They give me different advice than everyone on Facebook gives me. What? What's different about these people? See, Paul is telling Titus to encourage these workers in several different specific areas. And, and Christian employees to continue this positive influence we can have for Christ out there. Here's some specific ones from the text. Uh, verse 9, he says, to be subject to their masters and everything. Which means that we need to have a submissive spirit. To have a submissive spirit. This does not come naturally. Parents of even young children, seems like from infancy, they exhibit a rebellious spirit toward authority sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes they love it and sometimes they hate it. But no one likes to be really like told what to do. But Christian employees should exhibit a compliant spirit at work. Learn to repress the pride and the ego. And, and to respect the delegated authority over you, understand that God may have that there for a purpose, for them and for you. You see, Peter told Christians, and specifically Christian slaves, to be obedient to their masters even when their masters were harsh and unreasonable toward them. You can read about that in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm thinking, how much more should we, when we are voluntarily taking an employment position, have a submissive spirit toward those in authority over us? Another thing he talks about is to try to please your boss. To try to please your boss. To try to please them, it says there in verse 9. Paul says that slaves should try to please their masters. You ever think about the story of Joseph in Genesis Picks up about chapter you know, 38 or so. The life of Joseph, he's sold into slavery. He's sold into Potiphar's house as a servant. Lowest man on the totem pole. Works his up to where he's managing the house of Potiphar. How do you think he did that? It's because he was trustworthy. It's because he was good. It's because he was compliant. It's because he had a good attitude. It's because he was living his life in such a way to be a representative, a representative of God to Potiphar in his household. To the point Potiphar puts him in charge of everything in his household. Potiphar's out playing golf. Joseph is managing everything in his household. Now, if you know his story, you know that his wife, uh, Potiphar's wife, kind of got eyes for Joseph and told a lie, got him thrown in prison. But even from prison, do you remember what happened? He lived a godly life, followed what God had commanded him to do. God gave him some special blessings. And the next thing you know, he's working for Pharaoh in Egypt, the king, the top. He actually works his way up to being second in command over all of Egypt. Now, you know God had a plan, and he was working this plan to save Israel, ultimately from a famine, and quitting the lineage that was going to bring us through David and all the way to Jesus, through Joseph and what he's experiencing in Genesis. But 
It's because Joseph continued to be faithful wherever God had him. You know, whether it was in prison, whether it was in Potiphar's house, or whether it was serving as second in command over all of Egypt. He was a bright light. He tried to please his boss wherever he was. It's because he pleased his superiors that he kept getting moved up. Notice, Paul says that we should try, try to please our boss. I know some of you work for bosses that you're like, I could try to please them the rest of my life. They're never going to be pleased. They're just one of those people that's like, I just cannot be pleased in any way. And some superiors, you, it's true, they can't ever be pleased. But as far as it depends on you, try to please them. Another angle that you might want to try to do is maybe make your employer look good by talking them up instead of talking them down. Making your employer or your employment look good, that attitude is so radically different than the rest of the world today. Where everyone's, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I owe oh my, oh myself to the company store, I'm just sitting here biding my time. And Is that an attractive quality? <laughs> Doesn't mean it's going to make Jesus attractive as Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 through, 22 through 24 says it this way. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ whom you are serving. Maybe that's a verse that you need to print out, memorize. Maybe you need to have it on your panel as you drive to work every day. Is to remember, hey, I'm going in today and I'm going to serve I'm going to do well, and I'm going to represent Christ well here because ultimately I'm serving God today. I'm not just serving a boss or a company or a position. I'm actually doing this as I do it unto the Lord. The next thing it talks about is that we are to guard our tongue. We need to guard our tongue. Be careful how we talk at work. Verse 9 says, not to talk back to them. That these workers are not to talk back to their bosses. Paul says that slaves should not talk back to their masters. Talking back to a boss sometimes happens in subtle ways. I think sometimes we think, well, just defiance and yelling or cussing or doing something like that at them. But I think, well, more, more, more often than not, it happens in some subtle ways, like, hmm, it's not my job description. Hmm, that's not my area of responsibility. Hmm. I'm sorry that came up, but lack of planning on your part doesn't constitute an emergency on mine. You know, I did exactly what my job description says. I did exactly as you asked me to do and nothing else. Sometimes we gripe and we moan about how hard we work, how many hours we're putting in. Or sometimes maybe it's instead of talking to the boss, you're talking about the boss behind their back. You're joining in those break room conversations and in the work room and in the back room, always running them down, telling how mean they are. It's, you understand they're trying to do a job too. But so many times we run them down and we gossip and we slander and we talk behind their back. And the urge here from, from Paul to Titus and Titus to these Christians is to control your tongue at work. Did we, did we talk about self-control a few times in the series already? Mentioned like five different times already in this book. Self-control in the area of your tongue. Don't get involved in the stuff that's griping and rumors and slander that's going on behind the scenes. Be a good witness for Christ, and you will be if you can keep and restrain your tongue. Next thing, 
encourages us to do is to don't steal time or money. Don't steal time or money. Specifically in verse 10 there, it says, to not steal from them. It's, it's a sad statistic, but one-third of companies that go bankrupt each year do so as a result of employee theft. One-third of companies that go bankrupt this year will do so because of employee theft. Now, a lot of times we think of employee theft in terms of, oh, you know, I stole, I stole a pen. You need some pens at home, and there's some pens in my purse. I stole a pen, or I stole a box of paper clips because I didn't have any. You know, I needed that, or I stole a ream of paper, or I stole these files, or I stole these this this software. You know, I took the software and I put it on my own personal machine, and and even more than that is when employees, and I want you to think about this, when they steal time, or they're unproductive in hours that they are paid to be producing for their company. Sometimes it's really apparent of how that happens. We have these wonderful devices called phones, right? And you can get sucked into a Facebook post and like an hour later, you're like, wake out of your Facebook trance. You're like, what just happened? So many times they're playing a, you know, a, a game on your computer or, or doing some kind of an app on your phone. You're social networking uh, while you're at work and looking and reading all those things. You, maybe it's just general laziness and apathy toward the mission or the goal of the company. Is that you're not working toward the end result or you're not actually helping now, you're just biding your time, doing the bare minimum, sliding by. Hey, that's a great representative of Christ to the marketplace. That's a great representative of Christ to your boss. But the Bible says to work as if you are working for the Lord. We just read that in Colossians chapter 3. If you get paid to work a 40-hour week, we'll just say that's full-time, and you get paid to work 40 hours, and you are only working 35 hours, and the rest of the time you're goofing off or on your phone or whatever, having conversations, you are stealing money that you did not earn. And if you purposefully loaf on the job and do the bare minimum and try to get, try to get by with doing as little as possible, you're doing practically the same thing. God is imploring us as Christians to do the right thing, to put in an honest day's work, and to not steal time, or money for that matter, from your employer. And in doing this, you will make people around you, and even your boss, more attracted to God your Savior and the faith you claim in Jesus Christ. The last thing it says there in verse 10 is to show that they can be fully trusted. You need to be fully trustworthy as Christians. Most businesses and companies say, hey, yeah, we want to be fully trustworthy as Christians. We want, we want to be the one, one of the Christians running the register because they're less likely to slip a couple of dollars out. One of the Christians running the sales force because they're likely not to mark up and, and collect some money for themselves. And Paul says that he wants us to be fully trusted. What happens when you find someone you can trust at work? you have this tendency to want to give them even more responsibility. And oftentimes, with more responsibility comes what? More authority, more decision-making, which you would probably like to be a part of, and a lot of times, more compensation or benefits. You may feel sometimes literally like a slave at work. But remember, even slaves mentioned in our text today had a tremendous influence on their masters if they would work hard and if they would do the right thing. Sometimes I think we go into the workplace and we say, here's how I can make a difference. I'm going to carry a big Bible, you know, study Bible, 20 pounds. And I'm going to tell everybody, right, we're having Bible study in, in, in the workroom today, at, at lunch, on your lunch break, you need to come to my Bible study. And, 
And, you know, we twist people's arms. You know, we always make these awkward conversations. I'm going to make you talk about Jesus. But I wonder sometimes if our approach was more like this. Have a submissive attitude. A pleasant spirit. Restrain your tongue. Be honest, trustworthy, and be a really good hard worker. As if you're working for the Lord and not for man. I wonder if you worked that way, if people would see Jesus and you, and it just might make him more attractive to them. Because as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, I wonder sometimes if it would be better if at work you didn't tell people you were a Christian. It might represent Christ better. Don't tell anyone you're a Christian. Don't tell them you go to church on Sunday. I mean, if you're going to live a lifestyle that is contrary to what it says in Scripture, you're not helping the gospel, you're not representing Christ, well, you're not making Christ attractive to the marketplace. You're actually misrepresenting what he's about and misrepresenting the change, the powerful change that he can make in your life. Something to think about. Because when you go into that workplace, you say, oh, hey, I'm a Christian. There's this expectation that something would be different about how you talk and your attitude and your actions. You know, we've been reading the gospel in the Bible app. There's about 120 of us that are doing that Bible reading plan, reading through the whole Bible this year. And we just finished the gospels. Just in the last three three or four weeks, we've been in the gospels this whole time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Reading about Jesus. Every time I read the Bible and I read sections of scripture that I've already read, every time I do this, it's amazing because I feel like something else jumps out at you. What jumped out at me this time, one of several things actually, um, in the gospels was how many times Jesus would perform miracles or teach something and then he would say, hey, disciples, close followers, don't tell anyone I did that. Don't spread the fame. Don't tell anyone. You know, he does this teaching. Hey, don't tell anyone about that. He does this miracle. You know, it's like, and they're like, dude, you made a blind guy see. What do you mean don't tell anybody? I want to tell everybody. He's like, no, don't tell anyone. So for many of us, when you, when you read that, you're like, oh, you know, people will say, the scholars will say, well, his time had not yet come. It just wasn't time to tell people about Jesus yet. It just wasn't time. And I got thinking, why? Why is it not time? And you know what I came to? I wonder if at that time, with the smaller amount of time, not the full three years the disciples have spent with Jesus, I wonder if at that time they weren't ready because they wouldn't represent Christ well to the world. I wonder if there would be such a bad influence because Peter was still cussing and telling lewd fisherman jokes. And the rest of the guys, you know, they were all just kind of doing these worldly pursuits and they kind of had one foot into Jesus and one foot into the world. And they were just like going back and forth and just like, hey, don't go tell people about me because you're not ready yet. I just wonder... If Jesus said, hey, you're not ready yet, so don't go tell people about me. Because you're going to represent me horribly to the world. But there's hope. Because Jesus wasn't done with these people yet. You get out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you go to the next book in the New Testament, it's the book of Acts, and you get to chapter 2, and Peter, the fisherman guy, they seem to be impetuous and pop off, kind of had an attitude sometimes, and sometimes was just anger. Sometimes it's just not represented well in the Gospels. I mean, Jesus one time told him, get behind me, Satan. That guy preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people were baptized that day. Jesus wasn't done with them yet. Jesus is not done with you. There's hope, but you need to call on him as your Savior and your Lord. He is your curios. He is your master and you do what the master asks you to do.
to live in such a way that you would honor God, not just here in the holy huddle on Sunday mornings where it's easy, but out there in the world, and you would do it in such a way that you would make Christ and Christianity attractive to the world. Folks, it is not going to hurt us in our great commission mission in Matthew 28 to make Christianity and Christ attractive out there, to make him be a beacon of hope and a beacon of light. And Jesus, remember in Acts chapter 1, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the world. You will be my witnesses at your workplace tomorrow, on the soccer field next Saturday, in Garfield County, the state of Oklahoma, and even to the rest of the world. So surrender to Christ and be a good representative of him.